Caleb eats the world. Blobcast. <laughs> Bobcast. 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 This is the Bobcast, a podcast exploring Reformed theology through the works of Herman Bovink. Bob Squad, welcome back to uh, the Bobcast or whatever it is that our name is. Bobcast, Bobcast, Casty Bobs, Herman Cast, Bob Crust, Crusty Bobs. I like that one. We should be Bob Crust. We should not. Oh, uh, I was thinking of merch already. <laughs> we have been for a long time, actually. I don't know why Bob Crust got started, but. Amongst ourselves, this is what we often refer to it as. <laughs> I think it's because at, at the beginning of every single episode, uh, when we test our mics or when we say hi to each other, we pretty much just start babbling. Yeah. Not very different than what we're doing now, but... We break out in glossalia. We <laughs> hearken back to Caleb's Bethel writing days, which we've talked about before on this show. And You're not you're not exempt from a little Pentecostal That's true. Phase. I did... <laughs> I did have, I did some time in the assembly of God once upon a time. You were an AOGer and then you wised up. Yeah. Well, but not an AOCer. Well, no, yeah, not a like as in like AOC, AOC. Yeah, that that one. Let's not talk about that ever again on the podcast. Duly noted. Tainted. Okay. Well, so on this episode of the exciting. Rip Roaring Krusty podcast. We are going to be continuing with the doctrine of God, uh, specifically in chapter nine of The Wonderful Works of God by Herman Bovink, titled The Being of God. Uh, last time we were speaking about the knowability of God, how God is the content of revelation and how we are to make sense of this content. Uh, so we had given some Brief definitions that we're going to see play out more now uh, with the being of God. Being is something that exists. Essence is that which something is, or in this case, what God is. Substance, which is God's substance is absolute and living God, and he is pure deity. And attributes, which are perfections. And we're going to throw a couple more uh, definitions at you here really quick to start us off as we begin to move towards a discussion on what we call incommunicable attributes and God's communicable attributes. But first, uh, before we jump into this section at the bottom of page 117, there is the last paragraph before that section break. It begins with the word, the knowledge which we get of God by way of revelation is therefore a knowledge of faith. So, in other words, in order to rightly and adequately understand or have a, a right, adequate knowledge of God which its purpose is rightly for blessedness, for wisdom, for right living, we need faith. But with this, though, uh, we need to understand exactly what kind of knowledge that we have. We had said that we can't fully conceive of God. We can't exhaustively know everything about him. But Bovink goes on to also talk about how this knowledge of faith and how we are to understand God doesn't mean that... We know things in the same way as God, or what's called univocal knowledge. He says, This knowledge is not equivalent to the being of God, for God is infinitely exalted above all his creatures. So we have to maintain he is transcendent. 
But such knowledge isn't just empty words. It's not just symbolic. So uh, it's not equivocal knowledge. It's real knowledge. He says, though, that this knowledge is ectypal. Uh, Andrew, do you want to give us some comments on ectypal knowledge or ectypal theology? And then perhaps additionally, what an analogical knowledge is? Sure. So if you look there, Bavink actually gives you a definition, a brief definition of an ectype. He says an impression as in printing. So to think like if you have a copy machine, if you throw a document on the copy machine and make a copy what you have is an ectype of your original document. That's a little bit of an oversimplification when we're talking about God. But basically, the ectypal theology is closely related to the archetypal theology. So basically, archetypal theology or uh, the archetype of something is something as it really is. In terms we were talking about before with God's incomprehensibility, like a comprehensive knowledge of God, a knowledge of everything that God is, a knowledge of, of God as he is in himself, that would be archetypal knowledge. That would be the complete knowledge, the absolute knowledge. So ectypal knowledge is what we as finite and limited creatures are limited to. We are limited to copies. We are limited to pictures. Uh, we are limited in our capacity to understand God. This is why the knowledge of God has to be accommodated to us. So the knowledge we have of God is ectypal knowledge. It's not knowledge of God as he is in himself. It's not the comprehensive knowledge, but it is real knowledge. It's just limited by us. I believe even in last episode, we spoke about the term theology, that theology is simply the study of God. So with this archetypal, ectypal distinction, then you would be saying that only God really knows himself. Again, that study of God. So really only God has perfect theology. We will never have a perfect theology because we cannot perfectly know God comprehensibly, full grasp, exhaustively. Ectypal theology would then be a simplifying, a copied theology or a theology patterned off of what God reveals to himself, right? Right. And so when we talk about the doctrine of analogy or analogical theology, we're basically talking about the same thing. Uh, if you think in literature, for instance, of an analogy, it's a comparison. It's a, a corresponding thing or to describe something by using something similar. It's, again, this idea that we don't really know God as he is, as he is in himself, but we can know by analogy, we can know by similar things, by things that are like him that we can understand, we can have real knowledge about him. So this goes back to something we talked about before. For instance, anthropomorphism, uh, that's one way we can know God by analogy. We take things we do understand to help us understand something that we don't. And Bobbing's going to uh, make this even more clear by using later on uh, the example of love, what God is love means and what it means for a man to love. So what's similar, what's different, and how they relate according to one being patterned from the other. Actually, we like what he says here and also to transition into the next section. So the last two sentences on this paragraph, same page. The knowledge which God grants us of himself in nature and in scripture is limited, finite, fragmentary, but it is nevertheless true and pure. So to say that we have a 
copy theology or a likeness theology that we talk about God according to resemblance or similarities. It's not to say it's not real knowledge then and that it can't be a pure knowledge. It's simply limited. It's finite and it's partial. Again, not exhaustive. He continues, such is God as he has revealed himself in his word and specifically and through Christ. And he alone is such as our hearts require. So what he reveals is that which is necessary for us to know. Right. We have the knowledge of him that we need for our salvation. Exactly. That's what is sufficient. So here we now have a pivot in this chapter. We're at the section break on page 117, turning away from this idea of the knowledge of God more generally towards his attributes. So what are these things that we know about God? What are these things he has revealed to us about himself? Now, these attributes are divided into two categories, which closely correlate to something we've already talked about, his eminence and his transcendence. And similarly to that, we have these incommunicable and communicable attributes. Caleb, would you want to maybe flesh out what the difference between these two are? Yes. So first of all, we, we think again to why he just gave us those phrases, ectypal and analogical. So we had said ectypal is a copy or an impression. Simply put, an analog literally would mean an image, uh, an imaging. So that's something that bears a resemblance, we could say. To say uh, that something is incommunicable is to say that something that is not shareable, something that is not able to be communicated, something that's not able to be, if you will, translated to or to use our terms of ectypal and analogical, something that does not have analogy. It's something that cannot be resembled or is not resembled in creature or in man. So to say communicable means that is something able to be shared or does have an analogy or resemblance in creature. So in this sense, when we're talking about uh, attributes, I had said earlier with that little definition at the start of this episode uh, and the previous episode, an attribute is a perfection. When talking about God and his perfections, we're simply saying it is simply that which God is. It is God's nature, the things that are God, his essence. So it is God's existence, his being. Uh, we can think perhaps with Exodus 3, 14, I am who I am. These perfections are I am. So we're going to be talking about then the perfections of God, God's nature, according to how we can understand them that may have some resemblance in man or things that don't have a resemblance in man. We look first at the incommunicable attributes of God and Bob Inc. lays out several of these. So we're just going to take some time and we'll walk through each of them and sort of explain what they are and why they matter. The first one that he brings up is that God is independent. Now, what this means is that God, well, what independent means is simply not dependent. God is not dependent on anything else. He is not contingent on anyone else. There, there's nothing that God needs in order to exist or in order to continue existing or or anything of the sort. God is God in himself. He always has been. He always will be. He really is outside of time itself, not even dependent on that. And there's nothing in him that relies on anyone or anything else. 
there's a classic scripture text for this that I believe really helps us understand it further. This is where Paul is uh, speaking to the philosophers at Athens and Mars Hill. He says that God is not worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. So God isn't even dependent upon our worship. That's not what fuels him, basically. Bobbing actually cites that passage. Um, he also cites Romans eleven thirty six, which says, For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. God has no need of anything and cannot be swayed by anything outside of him. And that's similar then to this next attribute, his next perfections of unchangeability or what some may hear the word immutability. Uh, so God is unchangeable. Okay, he can't be changed from anything from outside of him, nor will he change from within himself. He's always going to be consistent to his nature and who he is. Uh, as Bovink puts it, he eternally remains the same. In all variableness and turning are owing to the creature and the relationship in which the creature places himself over against God. And of course, he then cites the classic proof text for this, which is James 1.17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. <laughs> but a question that always comes up when we're thinking about God's unchangeability. So what about these texts that say things like, well, God regretted something? Or God was sorry about something. Has God changed where he wasn't in that state and now is? We have to remember, which if you've been listening so far, you already know this. That's anthropomorphism. That's accommodated language. God doesn't experience these things in the same way that we do. For us, if if we regret something, that is a change. But for God, it's a change not in him, but a change in us. It's a change in relationship brought by man. And again, it, it, it's accommodated language. It's not God having emotion in the same way we do, but it's using something that we do experience to as close as we can, as best as we can understand something of God. To say God is unchangeable or immutable doesn't mean to say that he is without movement or motion, that he doesn't act and respond. So you, you, you couple that together with the anthropomorphisms. God does act. He is operative in all things. Uh, perhaps response isn't necessarily the best phrase since he is first cause. But even that is a way of speaking about how God acts. So God does act and then it's communicated to us. It's accommodated to our understanding by those anthropomorphisms, as Andrew said. I suppose at this point... A quick distinction to point out is not something that comes up here in Bob Inc., but might be worth knowing and keeping in the back of your mind as we go through this. A distinction that we have to make when we're talking about our doctrine of God is we have to make a distinction between God in his being, which is what we're talking about here, and then God economically. Uh, this comes up especially when we look at the doctrine of the Trinity, what God does, those things should not be confused, and a lot of problems arise when we do. Right. I'll tend to usually, uh, in, in sermons and whatnot, boil that down to two points, uh, that all of our theology in what Scripture is speaking of ultimately comes down to who God is, what you were saying, his being, who God is and what he does, God's acts. So just to further boil that down, 
Um, and there's actually one more distinction in here that we're going to have uh, because of this next attribute. This word that's used here, he is simple. This is actually a word that comes out in our Belgian Confession Article 1. Uh, we all believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that there is a single and simple spiritual being whom we call God. So simplicity, this is to say that God is not made up of parts. God cannot be portioned out into different things like say God is one third love or he's one third omniscient, one third omnipotent, one third omnipresent. We can't say that he's at times more loving than he is just or conversely that he is more just than he is loving. All that God is, he simply is. As Bobbing puts it, he is simple and not composite, wholly free of all compounding of spirit and matter, of thought and extent, of being and properties, reason and will, and like components. And all that he has also is pure truth and life and light. Just a few brief notes on that, basically. What I had mentioned in, in the previous episode, that God is his attributes. God is his perfections. God's essence is his perfections. God is his nature. God is self-existent. And God's attributes, his perfections, are not components that are added to God's being. God is. And this is why uh, the importance of we say that we understand uh, what is being said in Exodus 3.14 of I am that I am. God is. Likewise, you could even say John 4.24, which we'll get at in a bit. God is spirit. Uh, this is a part of it. So even then, as a final note there, even then when we make this distinction of God's incommunicable and communicable attributes, those aren't separated. It's not that he's 50%, 50%. It is simply a theological distinction to explain their relationship to one another for our benefit of understanding and talking about God the way scripture talks about him. There's no separations, no distinction that is truly breaking God up into different parts. And that again will become something very important in the doctrine of the Trinity. We have to be very careful that we're never at any point or in any way pitting one of God's attributes against another or discounting one at the expense of another. And sorry, actually, Andrew, also one final thing on that. Uh, this is also why Bob Inc. was making such a big point about keeping balance and keeping in mind both God's transcendence and imminence, right? Right. Right. We have to maintain both because if we lose one, we're on our way to serious error of some kind. The same is true if we deny simplicity if we commit any of these errors if we lose something of god or make god more of something or too much of something then well we end up with a different god exactly and that's a serious problem that's a a damnable error that's the the real weight in theology you know it's a serious matter right but moving on in the incommunicable attributes, the next one we come to is that God is eternal. We have the attribute of God's eternity. Now, this is one that people struggle with and, and with good reason, because we are time bound creatures. We're created in time. We live in time. So much of our life, so much of our existence and what we understand about existing and and about the world is driven by time. So we when we think of eternity, we often think in terms of time. Well, you know, time 
ever in the past. God has always been and always will be, but in time. And really, God created time. God is not bound by time. Remember, God is independent. He's not contingent. So God transcends time. And this is how Bavink puts it here. He is eternal in that he transcends time and yet penetrates every moment of time with his eternity. So Psalm 90, verse 2, before the mountains were brought forth, wherever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So you think about God before the foundation of the earth. Well, did time exist before the foundation of the earth or was time created with the earth? I mean, God created time. God is outside of time. He's beyond time. He transcends time to use that word we've been using here a lot. This can get into a whole other aspect. Uh, there's debates of then how we're to understand time. Perhaps one way we can just think of it is also as, not to solve those debates, um, but we could think of it simply in a way of duration for creature or creation relative to God. Time has to be understood as being uh, in relation to God. So God first. Time has to in some manner be a part of creation. This gets into the big debate then if that makes it a thing. The eternality of God is related also then to this next attribute that Bobbing lists here, his omnipresence, that God transcends all space, and yet he bears up every point of space by his almighty and ever-present strength. So, on one end, we recall that even the heavens cannot contain the glory of God, and yet at the same time, he fills everything, not making it equal to God, not pantheism, but that God uh, is operative, present, and sustaining and at work uh, in every single thing. Both eternality and omnipresent are actually individual aspects uh, that we lump into the term infinity. So when we say the word infinite, like in our confession that God is incomprehensible, invisible, unchangeable, or immutable, infinite, we're talking about God's eternality in relation to space and time, and God's omnipresence in relation to space and time. These things which are limiting to us, like we're limited by space. I am sitting right now in a chair in Hills, Minnesota, and Caleb is off wherever Caleb is, and those are not <laughs> the same place. I'm here, I'm not there, and I can't be there and here at the same time because I, as a human, as a creature, I am limited by time and by space. And similarly, uh, as much as I need to go on a diet, and lose some pounds, I don't fill up everything. I don't fill up all space. And aren't we glad? <laughs> that would be quite disturbing and morbid. That's like a, <laughs> that's a setup for, for Bobcast's first horror movie there. Caleb eats the world. Blobcast. <laughs> and so on that aesthetically pleasing note, we are out of time for today. We hope you join us next week for Bobcast, where we will conclude this discussion of Chapter 9 on the Being of God. As always, if you have any questions, you can reach out by email, bobcast at gmail.com, or hit us up on social media. And until next time, Toad Zines. Thank you for listening to Bobcast. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and leave a five-star review where you get your podcasts. For the latest Bobcast news and updates, visit bobcast.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Bobcast is a member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. 
Subscribe to the Society of Reformed Podcasters feed to hear more great theological content. Music is City of God by Rudy Manrique. We hope you'll join us again next time.